Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Got your notes? We ready to go? We prayed up. We're ready to go. Awesome. July 1961, uh, 38 members of the Green Bay Packers gathered in a locker room with their legendary coach named Vince Lombardi. Uh, They were together for the first day of training camp. The season before, they had lost the championship, the NFL championship game in the last quarter to the Philadelphia Eagles. And so these guys, all summer long, had been thinking about that tragic loss and ready to go after it. And they were ready to get and take their game to the next level. Coach Lombardi gathered the team, blew his whistle, and he said, men, this is a football. And then he took them out to the football field Lambeau Field, and he said, this is a football field. There are 100 yards on this field. And he blew his whistle. He said, follow me, and took him into the end zone. He said, our job every Sunday is to take this football across this line, and we get six points when we do. And he went through, for about an hour and a half, the fundamentals of football. A biographer writing about this said this, he took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch every fall, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most fundamental statement of all, this is a football, holding a pigskin in his right hand. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize the NFL could offer. And yet he started with them from the very beginning. Six months later, the Packers went on to beat the New York Giants 37 to nothing in the next NFL championship game. What we're doing this fall, every week for four weeks, is kind of having a this is a football talk, but we're saying this, this is a church. Getting back to the basics, nothing new, rebooting, if you will, the basics of what it means corporately to follow Jesus. Your walk with God is incredibly private. It's extremely private. It's a personal relationship with Christ. It's not private. It's personal. And it's never meant to be private. Your walk with Christ is a communal walk. That's why the church gathers. And we're looking together what that looks like. So three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about the church gathers. We prioritize gathering. Not when it's convenient. We prioritize it. And our big idea two weeks ago was as they gathered, Christ was exalted and walls crumbled. Antioch was an incredibly divided city, 18 divisions in the city when the church was birthed there. Then the second, last week, we talked about grow as a priority and how growth is a combination of God's grace, God always initiates, but then somehow we respond with what we call grit. Grit. Not when it's convenient, we grit in response to God's grace. And today, Bobby talked about it, give. Churches gather, churches grow, churches give. A healthy priority in your life is gather, grow, give. Next week we'll look at go. But our big idea is this, Antioch was transformed, Bobby said it, from natural born getters, consumers, to supernaturally, ready, born again, givers. Supernaturally born again givers. That's on page one of your notes. This is critical, my friends, these three things, especially today, to our mission of empowering the generations 
to passionately, not tepidly, passionately follow Jesus Christ one home at a time. So here's my question at the start. How do we measure passionate following? If you don't measure it, you can't manage it. You've heard that statement before. How do you measure your following quotient, your passionate following quotient, personally, corporately? I think it comes down to one word. Give. Give. Now stick with me, okay? If you have a pen or pencil, write this in your outline. Just, just do an audit of the words in the Bible. The word believe in the scriptures. That's a pretty important word, right? Believe. It's mentioned 289 times in the Bible. Believe. The word pray. That's an important word for followers of Jesus, right? Pray is mentioned 367 times in the scriptures. The word love. Boy, that's an important one, right? Love's pretty important. Anyone think love isn't important? Yeah, I think we all do. 686 times. The word give in the scriptures, 1,433 times. Today in NFL stadiums across the country, a sheet will be held up at some point with this verse on it, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. God so loved the world that he gave his first and his best, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Giving is critical to engage in the mission. It's critical to being a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't think you can love without giving. That's true in any relationship. And it's true, and I'm not just talking about resources. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about mental energy, prayerful energy, spiritual energy. You can't love in any relationship without giving. If you're not giving, you're not loving in any relationship. If we love our city, we got to give to our city. If we love each other, we have to give to each other. If we love the Lord, it's shown in our giving. Jesus said this in his most famous speech ever called the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. In other words, your heart leaves a money trail and a time trail right to your treasure. So Jesus says, if I want to see what you treasure, open your day timer. Open your bank account. I'll see what you treasure by looking and auditing those two things. I'll see right where your heart is. So let's go back to Antioch, 43 AD. The church is filled with brand new Christ followers. And the first recorded offering ever given was in response to a guest preacher. This is every pastor's nightmare. It actually happened here years ago where a guest preacher came in, gave a plea, actually hit his knees and asked the church, he didn't preface this with me or anyone else, and raised $50,000 in one service. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You should have asked my permission first. Um, so a guest preacher comes in and gives a plea, right? And says a famine's coming, Bobby read it, and we need money for a church in Judea. And let me give some context of what he's raising and offering for. In Acts 1.8, the church was commissioned, the followers of Christ were commissioned, they weren't a church yet, to take the gospel global, Acts 1.8. 
to the ends of the earth. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls, Pentecost happens, which is a supernatural equipping of the church. And the equipping came in energy, and the equipping came in a foreign language. There was a huge, uh, I'll put it this way, convention of Jews from all over the world. And all of a sudden, these disciples were speaking in these foreign languages. And everyone heard about this, and the church was born only among Jews. This church, even though they were mandated to take the gospel to the world, kept it to Jews only. Because we like it that way. We like our own. It's more secure. It's more safe. We do that. It's a natural tendency. We will always pull in and look inward, personally and corporately. Acts 8, persecution happens. The church gets scattered. And some of these Jewish people break rank. And they're, they're rebels because nice people don't change the world. So they break rank and they go and share the gospel with non-Jews. That's where Antioch was started in Acts 11. Gentiles heard the gospel. And a church was born primarily with non-Jews. Well, you'd think the Jerusalem church would be excited about this, but they're concerned. And so they send Barnabas to investigate. And he confirms this is a work of God. And he comes and appeals to the believers uh, in Antioch. This, this guest preacher comes and says, I got to raise an offering for Jewish believers, you ready? Who withheld the gospel from you, who were suspect of your conversion, and sent an outsider to verify your legitimacy. This is who the offering is for. Imagine if pastors from a different church hit social media and slandered PCC, saying our, our ministry's not legit, or we're not preaching the gospel, or don't go to that church, or they're haters, or whatever. Then imagine if they show up and say, our church burned down. PCC, would you be willing to take an offering to rebuild our church? This is the orbit of the context of this offering. Amazingly, we see the clearest evidence that this was a Christ-centered church in the way they responded to the offering. Look at verse 29. The disciples, Acts 11, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Unbelievable. They were a Christ-centered church. Antioch loved, so Antioch gave. This was not the, uh, an offering out of the surplus of some few wealthy stakeholders. This was a widespread effort. Do you see where it says in verse 29? As each one was able. They loved, so they gave. Now, they didn't just give their money. I want us to look at this church in a whole different perspective because there's something around here that is as valuable, if not more valuable, as money. Can I, can I just do a heart check right now? Aren't you excited we're talking about this? I mean, if, if really, if where our treasure is, is where our heart is, isn't it great that God is putting this on the table in a non, I'm hoping, a non-judgmental way to say, let's all do an audit of giving ourselves to the Lord. Are we all good? Okay, good. We're good. Okay. Uh, our time around here is pretty valuable. When I talk to people and go, hey, how you doing? I'm so busy. We give appeals for serving, and people are like, I don't have time to serve, okay? I want you to see another aspect of their giving, okay? This act of generosity actually changed the world. We are living in the wake of this, another, of this other act of giving. Turn to Acts 13. Let me show you how else they gave. 
Now in the ch- verse two. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. We looked at this two weeks ago. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger. These are the original um, pastors, elders, if you will, of the church. Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Who did Saul become? Paul, right. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I love that first word of verse three. I mean, that's just obedience. So, by the way, you know you can mark the measure of your maturity by the distance between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and your obedience. Uh, The longer time I have between conviction and obedience, I know that's a growth track for me. They were convicted, so they laid hands on them. Can you imagine? Uh, and, And by the way, simple math, taking into account verse one, the Holy Spirit was asking them, give me almost half of your best leadership team. I want your best, two of your five, And I'm not asking for the scraps. I'm not asking for the the B team. I want your best. Barnabas, the greatest encourager of the New Testament. Throughout all the epistles, he's constantly, his name even means son of encouragement. Paul, can you imagine being taught, having Pastor Paul, who authored so much in the New Testament as your pastor? How would we respond if God tapped us and said, Uh, Actually, 8.55, I want you to give Peter, and I want you to give Ken, and I want you to give Bobby to a church plant downtown for a year. That'd be hard, but I'd, I'd, I'd weep and wail. I don't know if there'd be a so in my response to that. This church was saying, God, we trust you so much. You've done so much in our lives Whatever you want, if that will advance the gospel to the world, we want others to experience what we've experienced too. So, they gave. Where is God calling you to so type of obedience? Where is God convicting you right now of areas you need to give it could be financial, it could be time, it could be character, it could be giving of uh, asking for forgiveness, it could be laying down your pride. There's got to be some sows in your life if you ever want to grow spiritually. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly calling each one of us. It never ends. I don't care how old you are, as long as you have breath, the Holy Spirit's job is to make us look like Jesus. And when he convicts us, my friends, let there be a sow. Let there be a so in response. Okay. So they gave 40%. They had a whatever it takes mentality. The gospel was that good. Jesus, you are that satisfying. Our faith doesn't rest on any one person or any certain number of financial security. Our faith rests in you because that's what love does. Love has a whatever it takes mindset. My friends, this is a football this is Christ-likeness. This is what churches do. This is what this church has done for 70 years. And it's, we're living in the wake of that today. 
So how were the Christians in Antioch so Christ-like in their giving? Think about it. They didn't have a, a Jewish history. In the Old Testament, there's this concept. Has anyone ever heard of this? Tithing. The tithe, give your first 10%. That's an Old Testament concept. By the way, Jesus, uh, he affirmed the tithe when he taught uh, as a New Testament principle, as a baseline. Start, let's just start with 10%. Uh, but, but the Old Testament had this tithe, and these people weren't Jewish. They didn't have that. How were they so generous? I've been asking that for months in preparation of this study. I think I found a clue, and I'm excited to bring it to you. Uh, so Acts 11:26. look at this. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and what? Taught. The word of God. They just taught them. And friends, the word of God does the work of God. And when you consume the word, something happens inside of us. So what did he teach them for a whole year? What was being taught? That is a great question to ask. Bob, I'm so glad you asked that question, what's being taught. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's see what Paul taught. Because he's teaching in this context. Corinthians was written by Paul. Uh, and he's teaching in the context of a famine. This church had experienced a famine. Uh, commentator says probably the same famine. And we see how he explained to the Corinthian church some teaching around this. Everyone in 2 Corinthians 9? Can someone give us the page number? 1162. 1162. So, context of this passage, Paul is writing them a thank you letter. We should say thank you. Paul's writing them a thank you because they gave, the Corinthian church also gave to this very offering. And he's thanking them for their generosity. And he says, hey, while I'm on the topic of generosity, let me tell you how this whole thing works. And he gives them three principles on the, to shape their perspective of giving. And this applies to time and money, time and money. And this applies to anything, not just a church. This is true of any relationship you have. These things, you can bank on these. Here we go, verse six. Here's the first principle. Again, I didn't leave you enough, uh, a lot of space because I want you to pray about what's on the inside. But write this down. I know in my life, mental ink fades really quickly, okay? Especially the older I get. What is that? What's going on? I'm <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to look at you guys. Sorry. <laughs> Especially the older I get. I don't know how that happens. I love you guys. You guys are the best. Principle of the harvest. First principle. The principle of the harvest. Verse 6. Paul's, remember, thanking them. Okay? He's thanking them for their generous offering. He's not appealing. He says, remember this. Whoever sows, what? Sparingly will also reap, What? Whoever sows, what? Will also reap. Paul opens with a simple observation that each one of us can relate to. And if we will let it, this, would, this will revolutionize. This, is, this principle has revolutionized my, uh, my marriage, my parenting, uh, how Ann and I steward our stuff, our time, and even our finances. He's talking to an agrarian society and every farmer knows the tension. He only has uh, a, a finite amount of seed and acreage. And the more seed, that's his whole livelihood. And the more he gives away, the less he has. This is what he's talking about. We do this all the time. And what he's saying is this, our harvest is directly proportional to our seed sown. Our harvest 
is directly proportional to our seed sown. The farmer who foolishly says, ah, I'm afraid to give up all this seed, and then has a miserly approach, just dropping one here, dropping one there, dropping one there, but hoarding it is going to have a small harvest. On the other hand, a wise farmer who says, I want to find the biggest field possible and sow as generously as possible, that person, that woman, that man is going to reap a huge harvest. You know, I think of my friends, the loves right here when I think of this story. I was greeted by you again this morning and I think of how you invest your time to greet people as they walk into this church. And I know it comes at a cost as you mature in age. I love it and I, I say this totally honorably. Ken was at this post coming in, and I, I need Ken at that post. It's so encouraging uh, for both of you to greet me, holding on to the wall of the church for balance. Reach out his hand saying, good morning, pastor. He's sowing, and they, he and she are sowing generously with the finite time they have and saying, we're not going to show up at 8.55. We're not going to show up at 9. We're going to get to our post at 8.45 and sow some seeds with our lives so that it'll bless the harvest. How many of you have been blessed by the greetings of the loves? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at this. Look around, everybody. Look at the result of your life. We need more people like that. I have a dream that people will be greeted and blessed five times by the time they enter into our parking lot and sit in the pew. Imagine what would happen if someone was right at the parking lot. Don't do this because you would back up Farm Hill Boulevard. But somewhere where you're just like waving, saying, way to go. Welcome to church. We're glad you're here. And then they got out. Someone was right at the edge of the parking lot going, yes, you made it. And this is a grace fest. Way to go. You're here. And then the loves will take the post and you take that post and you're like, yeah, you're here. Number three. And they sit down. And when they sit down, some of you are searching the sanctuary for new people. And you're coming up going, I don't know you. My name's, my name's Jim. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Can you imagine when they leave again, they're greeted one more time. They may not like what we talk about, but they'll go, man, that was a friendly place. The seeds of harvest. When it comes to a spiritual harvest internally or corporately, what kind of seeds are you sowing? How generous are you in your scene? Honestly, this reframes my prayer life this morning. Alarm went off. It's getting darker earlier in the morning. I didn't want to get up. I've told you this before. I wanted to hang with Pastor Pillow in the Church of the Holy Sheets. But I got up to sow some seeds, to plant seeds of prayer, to pray over every one of our gatherings and to pray over different churches meeting that have Christ at the center and asking God, raise up a harvest on this peninsula. It's changed my parenting. It's changed how I serve. It's changed our finances. Do you know the roots of the word miserable? The word first came into the world uh, in the uh, 1540s, the French word originally, but the original sense is now obsolete. Originally, miserable meant a money-hoarding person. Because in France in the 16th century, what they discovered was people that held their money weren't happy. So they coined this term, miserable. Miserable, miser, same root. Then there's the principle of divine subtraction. Divine subtraction. Look at verse 6 and 7. We'll reread verse 6, think of seeds, and we'll add verse 7 to this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Here it comes. Verse 7. Each of you should give 
what you've decided in your heart. That's actually one word in the original Greek language it was written in, and it means to choose deliberately. It means to make the call ahead of time. Don't be impulsive only. Ahead of time, you make the call. Choose what you've decided in your heart. Don't give reluctantly. That's an, uh, it speaks to internal ungodly emotion around giving. And, uh, it could be, um, I don't know, guilt, remorse, whatever. Internal, like, oh, I got to give. Paul says, don't do that. Or under compulsion, that's an external motive. Manipulation, where you're guilted into giving. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there, you might have heard this before. Hilarion. Does it sound like anything you know? Hilarious. God loves a hilarious giving. God wants a heart that is thrilled at the joy of giving. Thrilled at the thought, okay, service starts at 8.55, we show up at 8.30, and we see who God brings our way as we serve here. Thrilled at the thought of I'm sowing seeds in the nursery, pouring into the next generation, praying over babies and little toddlers as I serve them. Thrilled when the offering comes. You stand up and go, woo, we get to give again. <laughs> Thrilled. That's a hilarious giver. Probably the biggest myth in forming our giving is this. We think, regardless, time, energy, finances, we think we'll have more if we give less. We think we'll have more if we give less. That's just simple math, right? Maybe that's why the latest statistics state that Christians in America are only giving 2.5% of their income on average, 2.5%. Even in the Depression, the Great Depression, Christians on average gave 3.1% of their income. But today it's 2.5%. This concept actually blows that myth away that you'll have more if you give less. This concept, what Paul's saying here is, no, 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 you'll have more if you give more. You'll have more if you give more. See, I'm, I just want to offer you, first grade math has failed us in this regard. First grade math says 10 minus 1 is 9. Kingdom math says 10 minus 0 is 10. In other words, 10 minus 1, I have less? No. Kingdom math says 10 minus, uh, minus 1, you have more in the kingdom of God. If you want more out of church, give more. And I'm not just talking finances. I'm talking your time. I'm talking your prayer. I'm talking being a G4 disciple of Jesus. The problem with our math is that we leave God out of the equation. God says, and this is a promise, we got to step in faith. You factor me in every area of your life, your time, your relationships, your finances. You put me first, sub, uh, seemingly subtracting more from your calendar, more from your financial ledger. You put me first, you'll actually have more than if you factor me out of the equation. You see this kingdom math all over the scriptures. Uh, if you're taking notes, we're not going to jump there, but Proverbs 11:24 24 says, one person gives freely and gains even more. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, given will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. Think with me of the Antioch church and think of them giving away the apostle Paul and Barnabas. Their primary pastor teacher, Paul, 
and Barnabas to go on his missionary journeys to spread the gospel to the known world. Think of them today, 2,000 years later. Think they regret that act of giving? From their perspective in heaven right now, seeing the global expanse of Christianity. You know, two weeks ago we had a meeting here at PCC and at the meeting, the speaker, I, I gathered pastors from the Bay Area here to talk about uh, a, a United project we're doing. And the main speaker was a pastor from Nairobi, Kenya, who has planted over 200 churches. And you know why he was in the Bay Area? Because they're planting churches in the Bay Area. Africa is now sending missionaries to California. It is the, the axis of weight of Christianity has shifted from America to the east into the southern hemisphere. And he said, Gary, you are still the stomach of the Great Commission. In other words, you digest the food and spread it to the body, food being resources. But he says, you're no longer the major sending area. That's happened on my continent now. Do you think Antioch regrets giving away the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel even to Africa so that 2,000 years later, Africa could send missionaries to America? I don't think so. And I don't think we'll ever regret what we give to the Lord. Quickly, last principle, the principle of abundant replenishing. The principle of abundant replenishing. And God is able, in other words, that it's better translated, God is powerful to make all grace abound so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. If I were you in your Bible, I'd encourage you to do what I did in my Bible. Circle all things, all times, all we need. This is the God we serve. This really is at the core of it, my friends. Most of us, myself included, when we think about giving of our resources, giving of prayer, like this morning, am I going to get up and give prayer for today? I wasn't praying for myself. I was, and I'm not a hero. I'm, I'm just like you. You do this too. I was praying for you. I was interceding for others. But I thought, God, if I get up, I'm going to be tired throughout the day. And God said, oh, you're, you're looking at the wrong resource. You're, you're factoring me out of this. I'm eternal. I'm omnipotent. I can give you the power if you put me first. You just watch. You trust me. You get up earlier. You intercede for the day. And you watch what I do based on your prayers. And you watch how the kingdom moves. And I bet by the end of the day, you might have a little more strength because I give all things at all times, whenever you need it. My friends, the greatest adventure of my Christian life has been giving. And I want to invite you into that adventure too. So where do we go from here? I hope today, uh, just in our 30 minutes together, all our fears of giving some of them have begun to, uh, to get cracks in them and begin to be dispelled. In fact, I would just put this before every one of us. There's one thing that we should all fear when it comes to giving. Giving of our time, giving of our resources. One thing we should fear, holding back from God. Keeping the so out of the equation to the extent that he's no longer involved in our finances. Uh, and we don't want this for any one of you. And, and if you just take a note, you'll hear more about this. But this is why we do Financial Peace University 
in January to help you understand stewardship. October 19th, we have a whole estate planning seminar that's coming our way for free where you can and I can learn how to plan our future so that giving happens long after we're gone because we want God in everything. Because, friends, this is a football. This is a church. And God's agenda is to transform you from a natural-born consumer to a supernatural born-again contributor. There is no relationship that thrives when it's based strictly on consumption. You know that. No friendship can thrive on that. No parenting relationship can thrive. We have some newly, newly marrieds. How long, you guys? Over a year now. Wow. That marriage won't thrive over time in the decades if both of them are consumed. What am I getting out of this relationship? Can we just encourage them with an amen on that? Yeah, postmarital counseling right there. <laughs> Same is true in your relationship with Christ. So many of us come to Christ. Give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. And God is a giver. But it's a relationship where it's giving and getting. And God isn't, doesn't need anything, but he's inviting us, my friends, into this grand adventure of giving our lives away. Jesus said, you want to find your life? What do you do? Give it away. Lose it. So what we want you to do, take the card sometime today, text the word give to that number, and you will receive uh, opportunities to serve at PCC and opportunities, if you're not a part of a regular giver at PCC, an opportunity to jump in. If you think I have ulterior motives, then I want to encourage you, come t email me. Just email me, Gary G at We Are PCC. Uh, I'll give you another great gospel-centered church here on the peninsula you can give to for three months. And you try. Just try this experiment. Become a giver, a prioritized plan percentage giver. If you think, oh, that was a great giving message. You really want our money, don't you? No. I don't want things from you. I want something for you to become Christ-like. That's why you hired me as your pastor. So you text me, I'll give you another church to give to. And you see after three months if your life isn't transformed by putting God first in your giving. It's my heart, my friends. This is a football. This is a church. Gather, grow, give. Next week we'll talk about go. Amen? Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.